Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We're broadcasting to you here uh, at the start of 2020 NFL training camp. We are super stoked to see our Arizona Cardinals be able to Uh, take the field. Right now what we have at least is a lot of questions about the season, about things with COVID, but what we don't have questions about is the fact that the Cardinals, at least from all accounts, should be one of the most entertaining teams to watch in the NFL this year. And here to uh, talk about it with me is my co-host, the Venerable John Venerable. Uh, If I didn't mention, my name is Blake Murphy on Twitter, at BlakeMurphy7. He is Johnny Touchdown. And John, are you excited that even though preseason isn't a thing this year, the Arizona Cardinals are about to begin their next season and the season we've been waiting for for it seems like forever, the second year of a rookie quarterback contract after the rookie struggles with Kyler Murray. How are you doing and what is the biggest thing that you think we can expect for over the next few weeks for Cardinals fans as this excitement keeps building? Building. Yeah, we're we're under 30 days now and Welcome, everybody. It's great to be with you here on a weekly basis, at least a weekly basis, here on the ROTV podcast. And, yeah, Blake, like you mentioned, it's exciting now that we're getting actual, real, tangible football news. Um, The Cardinals have done an admirable job uh, containing um, the possibility of of a COVID-19 outbreak within their facility. They're one of, I think, only two teams that have not had, knock on wood, an outbreak of any kind, a positive test of any kind. Um, they are taking it as seriously as ever. So we're going to move past that, and we're not going to focus on that on today's podcast. But, yeah, you mentioned it, Blake. We're, we're less than a month out. Uh, things are really starting to come together in terms of, you know, we're seeing actual clips of DeAndre Hopkins and Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk, you know, all encompassing with, with Kyler Murray in that passing game. Kenyon Drake looks to be in fantastic uh, physical shape, the offensive line. What does that combination look like this year with Mason Cole at the starting center position? And then where we're probably going to focus the majority of our time today, defensively, the Cardinals have some young talent, some older talent, and a lot of interchangeable parts. How is that going to fit together? Um, to me, will probably be one of the most interesting things that, that comes about of this 
you can't even call it preseason, but of this training camp and what is you know going to shake out ahead of a, a very talented, vaunted Niner offense. Um, Vance Joseph, Cardinal defensive coordinator, who is, of course, on the hot seat, gave a couple telling quotes today. Uh, they're going to use all three inside linebackers, Blake, interchangeably, with that being Simmons, Devondre Campbell, which was a nice one-year addition from coming over from Atlanta, and then, of course, the incumbent Jordan Hicks. Um, how will they use all those three individuals? What is the pass rush situation going to look like with Devon Kennard uh, taking over for the departed Cassius Marsh and Terrell Suggs? What kind of depth do they have behind Kennard and, of course, Chandler Jones? You know, we've heard rumors of, you know, Hassan Reddick potentially being dealt. Um, not, you know, Everson Griffin is now a Dallas Cowboy. I mean, a lot of things have to shake out. And, of course, the back end, which has a chance, I think, to be one of the more talented groups in all of football, but they still have a lot to prove. Patrick Peterson entering, um, you know, a prove-it one-year deal as he approaches the age of 30. Buda Baker, you know, solidifying himself as one of the better safeties in all of football. Jalen Thompson, who... According to Vance Joseph, this is a direct quote today, definitely the answer at safety, which Blake uh, comes to no surprise for you and I based on what he did a year ago, second half of last season. Vance went as far as to say that we gave up a lot of big plays last year through the middle of the defense early on, and when that kid played, meaning Jalen Thompson, those plays stopped happening. And then, of course, I think one of the biggest question marks with regard to this team is what is the number two corner and number three corner position look like Robert Alford Byron Murphy both need to play up to their capabilities for this secondary to really take off but you look at that group like it has a chance to be one of the more talented talented groups um you know in the NFC if everything comes together totally agree John the fact that the Cardinals defense went from being one of the worst in run defense to better in run defense but 31st in pass defense there's a lot of questions about whether that is going to be the fault of Vance Joseph if he is just kind of sticking to his guns playing a certain way or how much of that is due to the talent level because most people whether it's in the Cardinals building uh, whether it's evaluators there's going to be a lot of focus on that because uh, with Vance Joseph last year, he had no veteran corners. You're talking about Tremaine Brock being essentially the, uh, and he was obviously cut from the team at some point last year. There's no veteran corners. They had DJ Swearinger, who was also released from the team. You're talking about a rookie in Byron Murphy and Chris Jones as your starting two corners for essentially the majority of the season. Patrick Peterson came in and wasn't really himself for a few games. The Niners game in particular stands out. Whether it was focus, getting back up to playing speed, there was just a lot of questions that uh, the Cardinals secondary had. Now, that being said, if a defensive coordinator, we take a look at other teams like the San Francisco 49ers, uh, they essentially were a Nick Bosa and a D Ford addition from going from one of the worst defenses in the NFL and having a successful, healthy season in their secondary for the most part to being a defensive-led team. That, to me, John, says that there's a lot of opportunity for the Cardinals to be able to turn this around. And for me, it starts up front. Uh, the defensive line, you're talking about adding back Zach Allen, um, trying to find someone in Devon Kennard across from Chandler Jones, and then the new addition in Jordan Phillips. I think that if the Cardinals are able to have a solid pass rush up front, 
then you're going to be end up focusing on, okay, you can get the solid pass rush up front if you're hoping the linebackers are improved. Really, the only question, John, that's left is going to be the secondary of this team. And like you mentioned, Jalen Thompson, Buda Baker, big parts of that. Buda at least got a lot of praise this week on Twitter. I think the question comes down to like what we've talked about in the past is, even if Patrick Peterson isn't motivated, if Robert Alford is not able to get back to his former self and be able to be a, uh, a solid corner opposite Patrick Peterson, the Cardinals are going to have struggles this year in their secondary. Yeah, I mean, no more so than I think what we saw a year ago when you had to force the 33rd overall pick, Byron Murphy, um, into the number one corner position, which I thought he did an admirable job given you know what was asked of him, but I mean, that's secondary to me. There are very minimal excuses based on the amount of talent that the Cardinals have invested in that unit. Peterson is still being paid a premium. Alford hasn't done anything because of his injury, you know, into a, I think it was a four-year lucrative contract extension um, when the Cardinals picked him up, former Atlanta standout. And then, look, Buda Baker could be a premier player in this league at, at, you know, safety. You look at you know, Isaiah Simmons is going to see time back there, uh, specifically maybe on passing downs where he's not rushing the passer. I mean, the Cardinals ha- should have a lot of different matchups to exploit defensively. They've got length, they've got size, they've got really good physicality. Buda Baker led all safeties last year with, I think, like 147 tackles, solo tackles, something ridiculous. Now, some of that had to do with the fact that nobody in the front seven could tackle consistently, but that's neither here nor there. I would actually put more of the ownership Blake, the questions I have stem from an interior pass rush. You know, can Jordan Phillips duplicate the success he had in Buffalo last year, almost reaching double-digit sacks? What's Corey Peters, you know, have left at the take at 31 years old in a contract year? Zach Allen, you know, spoke with reporters today, said he put on 15 pounds of muscle in the offseason. You know, they took the two fourth-round rookies. Is it fair to expect anything tangible from them this year? I just, I, I look at the linebacking core and I think, they got they got enough players to be successful there. Hicks, Jones, Campbell, Kennard, they've all been had some kind of success in this league. And then you had, you know, a lightning rod like Isaiah Simmons in there, and that should be plenty good enough to win on Sundays. And then the back seven, again, Patrick Peterson could be a Hall of Famer. Buda Baker is a, a you know pro bowler hoping to be an all pro. Jalen Thompson projects to be a really nice, you know, complimentary piece and then you know Murphy and Alford. That that's a nice that's a nice group. The, the defensive line to me is my biggest question mark, really on the team. I just I think they lack um, quality depth at that position. Certainly prove it, proven depth. Now we could be sitting here in October and one of the two rookies could pop and Jordan Phillips might be unblockable. We don't know. But I just look back to last year. So many of those games outside of Corey Peters, they just had nobody that really w- was worth starting on that defensive line. And you know. Would the Cardinals have taken Derek? Um, uh, was it Derek Brooks out of um, the University of Auburn? You know, SEC. Uh, Derek Brown. Derek Brown. I'm sorry, Defensive Player of the Year. I, there was a reason that they were so closely connected to him, is because you know their defensive line just isn't very good. And so, um, you know, I think that's going to be addressed, you know, in a, in a future off season. But really, this this wasn't the off season to do it when you had a player like Isaiah Simmons available. When you had somebody like Hopkins, you you could bring in. Uh, to me, that. That is my biggest question mark, Blake, because if the Cardinals are able to force teams to throw the ball you know, deep on third down, I think they can really pin their ears back. What, what was so amazing about what Chandler Jones did last year, you know, almost breaking Michael Strahan's sack record, he did it. Essentially, the Cardinals trailed majority of the season. 
Um, and really, it wasn't until the latter half, probably the fourth quarter of their season, where he really was able to to rush the passer a lot on third down because they were able to play with a lead for a little while because they got the running game going. The, the defense was so poor last year, he got a lot of those sacks just on his own. Um, most of the time it was against double teams. So just being able to free him up, I've got question marks about Kennard's ability to rush the passer on third down. He, he's got a career high back-to-back seasons of seven sacks. And, uh, you know, I had this pointed out to me because I've been pubbing up, the, you know, the addition of Everson Griffin for the Cowboys. And I said, man, that would have been a really nice ad for the Cardinals. Supposedly he had interest in coming to Arizona. He's from Arizona, um, proven player unlike Kennard. And, you know, he, he's got a nastiness to him outside that would really complement Jones well. And you know, it was pointed out to me, well, he's never played 3-4 outside linebacker. Well, neither is Devon Kennard. He might project a little bit better, but I'd take my chance with a proven player Kennard's played a, as a 4-3 outside linebacker for Detroit um, and then was you know, cut by the Lions this offseason. The Cardinals swooped him up. I think they'd probably like to rethink that quick acquisition given all the, the influx of pass rushers that were available into the summer. But that's a position I think if, we, if, if Kennard does not pop Blake, if he looks like he's struggling to get off blocks, he might get swallowed up by some of the bigger tackles in this division. It's, it's, it's a division that... You know, the Rams have, have stabilized their offensive line to some degree, and then certainly the, the Niners have two really good tackles now. Seattle is what they are, but they've got Russell Wilson back there scrambling around. If if Kennard gets eaten up by bigger tackles in the league, I think we'll look back as saying that was one of the biggest missed opportunities of the offseason not to take advantage you know, of that pass rush market and to, to rely on a player like Kennard, who quite frankly hasn't, hasn't proven much. Um, he's in his late 20s. Um, you know, I think you got your fingers crossed that maybe this could be another Lorenzo Alexander, not when he was with the Cardinals, but when he went to the Buffalo Bills and played, you know, as a primary pass rusher and and had double digit sacks was a really nice player. Um, so to me, that in combination with the defensive line worries me much more than the secondary, because I know that if Patrick Peterson plays up to his capabilities, they've got a number one quarter. If Buda Baker's healthy, they've got a, you know, really nice safety. Jalen Thompson, just even if he just duplicates what he did as a starter, projected out through 16 games, he's going to be a really nice player, and he's going to get better. You know, if Robert Alford's healthy, he's a warm body that they didn't have last year, and if Byron Murphy has improved at all, they're going to be fine. The secondary is going to be fine, knock on wood, assuming there's no injuries. What can we expect from somebody like Kennard and also you know, that, that third starting line, defensive line spot that really belongs to Zach Allen right now by default, Blake. To be able to recognize that Devon Kennard has never had a double-digit sack season, which I think is really, really a big key that we are looking for as far as when you're talking about the top pass rushers in the NFL, having more than just one main guy. I'm very curious to see how the Cardinals are going to be able to utilize him if he's going to be a... Uh, expected to have the same role that Terrell Suggs had last year if he'll be more in coverage. And uh, to me, John, I wonder if we're not going to end up seeing Isaiah Simmons more often than not end up being the guy who has the second most sacks on the team just because we're talking about, uh, you know, we don't know what's going to be the case with Jordan Phillips this year. Um, You'd think that he'd be the guy with the second most sacks, but it wouldn't shock me if they use Isaiah Simmons a lot on different types of blitzes for safeties or in managing the mobile quarterbacks, if that ends up being his role. And as Vance Joseph said, he is going to be that type of guy who is 
Kennard's going to be that type of guy that they're expecting to be that pass rusher, but Simmons is going to be that all-around chess piece. Simmons is going to be that all-around chess piece. Well, I mean, Isaiah Simmons needs to play 99% of the snaps. I mean, the only time he needs to come off the field is when he needs a breather. Um, and I, I, I understand he's learning primarily inside linebacker, but if we're sitting here and the, the, the defense is getting torched week one and Simmons is on the sideline, that's a big problem. Um, you don't take a guy that high and declare him a, a transcendent prospect and then not play him. It'd be like the equivalent of not playing you know, Kyler Murray last year. So I, that, that to me, uh, hopefully we don't have to cross that bridge with Vance, but you never know. But yeah, I, I just think the Cardinals have missed out on a, a golden opportunity to add a, a bona fide stud pass rusher opposite Chandler Jones to really put pressure on, you know, the likes of Jimmy G and Jared Goff. You know, Russell is who he is. Um, but I, I just think you have an opportunity now, especially with somebody like Jared Goff, who has torched you in the past, to be able just to really put heat on him. Um, with with two bookend pass rushers, listen, the Cardinals got, you know, pushed around in that Rams finale in Week 17 last year, and Chandler Jones was quiet because they keyed in on him. They had multiple um, multiple help for their left tackle in Week 17. They chipped him with a back out of the backfields because the Cardinals did. They weren't worried about you know Cassius March on the opposite end, and and that to me is the the you know the biggest question I have is. Can they find a presence that's not Chandler Jones? And I think they've probably said, well, Jordan Phillips can that can help with that on the interior. Zach Allen, we'll see if he has an ability to, to rush up the field. Certainly he can play the run. He did uh, that at Boston College at a very high level two years ago. But I just think you look at the, the players that were available in free agency. Everson Griffin, Marcus Golden, Jadavion Clowney, who's still available, um, you know, it was, a, it was a weak pass rushing class, but goodness, Blake, they, they worked out probably double-digit outside edge rushers. Um, and so we thought at the end of the day, maybe they take one, maybe the board didn't fall to them for whatever reason. But I'm just, I'm very skeptical of Kennard's ability to make a legitimate impact. I get it. He's a tr- tremendous human being, great for the locker room. If he was the third pass rusher and kind of the flex piece, and like you mentioned, Blake, got some ability to, to, to help out on passing downs as a, you know, to cover the back out of the backfield. If he's a really good, you know, run stuffer, that's great. But what wins in the NFL is, can, can, can you, do you have freaks on the edge? There's a reason Dallas had some options, you know, on their, on their edge as well uh, to go alongside Demarcus Lawrence. But they said, you know, Everson Griffin, he's a freak. He was a fourth rounder that should have been a first rounder based on, you know, off the field concerns coming out of USC, proven player, from from Minnesota's program, they've developed him, and he was just out there for the taking. Same with Marcus Golden. Now, I understand Marcus leaves some to be desired from an athletic standpoint, just from sideline to sideline, but he had 10 sacks last year, and it's a, it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league, and I just, I have concerns about this team's ability to rush the passer. I think that, again, everything else can, can be taken care of. I think that they've got multiple inside linebackers that can stop the run. I think their defensive line will be improved there. Their secondary is going to be improved by default just with Peterson and Alford being back for week one. But did they really get better opposite Chandler Jones? That's that's going to help this team. I hope I'm eating crow in two months from now, Blake, and Kennard's off to a fantastic start. But I think it's also hypocritical for people to say, well, you can't bring in X player because he's not an, an edge rusher. He's not an outside linebacker. Can we stop being so beholden on scheme 
and just say, okay, I'm looking at the box score or I'm looking at your stats from a year ago. You have a lot of pressures and a lot of, and a lot of sacks, and this, this player doesn't. Who would you rather have? Well, I'm going to worry about you know covering the back. No, on third down in a passing league when there are more and more athletes at quarterback, can you tackle the opposing quarterback? And I just I'm not convinced Devon Kennard is that guy. I've mentioned to you this to you off air, Blake, and this is not a shot at him. I'm just so sick of the home like coming home angle for local products. Like we saw that with Terrell Suggs last year, and that was a disaster. And yes, Everson Griffin is also coincidentally from Arizona. He's a proven player. You want to bring a proven player to Arizona and, and play that angle, awesome. Do it, do it till the cows come home, and then I can turn on their tape from their first or second team and see, you know, an all-pro player. I don't, I'm not infatuated with, with that angle. I, I want results. I want players that are going to come. I don't care what DeAndre Hopkins is from, but I know that he's an all-pro player, and they brought him in to be a stud here. Chandler Jones is from the Northeast. He went to Syracuse. He came here. He's on a Hall of Fame trajectory. I just think you acquire the best players that you can to put you over the top. This team has playoff aspirations. Kyler Murray clearly is elevating this offense, I think, to a a top 10 unit this year. Defensively, you had a chance to separate yourself, certainly from the Rams who were regressing without Wade Phillips. You had a chance to put yourself, I believe, neck and neck with Seattle, especially after that Seattle trade for Jamal Adams. That that trade sent shockwaves to the NFL. They're going to be better this year for it. You could have turned around and said, we're going to bring in Everson Griffin or Jadavion Clowney or Marcus Golden, and we've got two pass rushers that are ready to come after you. And they, they, didn't, they didn't do it, and I think it was a mistake, Blake. Yeah, John, it's tough because when you're talking about that at-home angle, like we love the Eno Benjamin draft picks. We love the, the Suggs news. Uh, even seeing Byron Murphy and then Christian Kirk going back-to-back drafts, it does at least show, like you've said, we haven't still seen that approach end up in a superstar aspect. The most successful currently, where obviously there's still high projections for Kirk, there's high projections uh, for the likes of Byron Murphy, but Zane Gonzalez seems to be the most successful one right, right now. He wasn't even drafted by the team. He was drafted by the Browns, was cut after an injury and some struggle kicks. I don't know why they were having him kick through an injury. But like you said, it's very much this idea of hyping a player up and then we see some players who go out and perform. There's other players who we've seen like a Terrell Suggs or if you want to go back a little bit further, Stuart Bradley was even a name that was a blast from the past, but he was essentially let go by the Eagles. The Cardinals signed him. There's just like you said, while I think at least Kennard is a huge step up from what Suggs was, the question, of course, is if he's that good of a player, the Lions either are cutting him for cap reasons or letting him go. They, they didn't feel like he was worth that price. And as a result, to be able to bank on him as like, oh, here's your double-digit sack guy opposite Chandler, also athletic enough to cover, it has me thinking that what this season's going to come down to on the defensive side will be Vance Joseph being able to scheme up and dial up blitzes at a much, much better rate than he did last year. In 2019, the blitzes were one of the worst aspects that the Cardinals brought to the table because it was either an all-out blitz where you would see someone would just leak through the defense because you didn't have a linebacker who could cover a tight end, someone would get open down the field, or you would end up seeing kind of these four to five men pass rushes. There was very little that was done creatively that was done by Joseph 
Uh, now, what did change in a little bit was once they moved Buda Baker into his new role, he all of a sudden was able to manufacture pressure. Uh, the sack that you're talking about, at least, uh, I believe, in the Niners game stands out. Uh, he was able to be used in coverage more often. And then Chandler Jones, once he was moved into kind of the primary pass rusher role, that was where you saw him take off with four sacks versus Seattle and really kind of cruise to that 19 finish, uh, 19 sacks to finish the season. So in that sense, John, really you asked a great question on Twitter, and the question was which Arizona Cardinal or Cardinals staff member is under the most pressure? Now, you know, if the Cardinals go 5-11, and 11, you could say it'd be Cliff, you could say it'd be Kyler, but uh, for you had said it was Andy Isabella. I still think that it's Vance Joseph because if the Cardinals are not back to having at least a competent defense by week six, he may get the Mike McCoy treatment. And as we've talked about, the Cardinals have a Billy Davis. They have a Brenson Buckner on staff. I think that Vance knows the pressure. What's interesting is most of the players and all of the other aspects seem to say this is going to be a better and different defense from where it was last year. It's supposed to be a more talented defense. So I guess the question is, John, which side are we picking? Are we going to be Team Vance or is it going to be Team Wait and See? Uh, team Wait and See. And I think it could be earlier than, than week six. I think if, if they come out, look at the, the early portion of their schedule and how favorable it is outside of the, the opener against against the San Francisco 49ers. Let's say they get lit up that week. They lose a close game. It's competitive. They're feeling good about themselves. They're preaching patience. And then they get railroaded by defensive coach Ron Rivera uh, and Dwayne Haskins and whatever the heck they have going on offensively there. And the wheels come off. I think I think the cord will be pulled quickly, or excuse me, the rug will be pulled quickly out from Vance Joseph. I think they'll make a change. Brentson Buckner is a player that comes to mind. Billy Davis is a player that comes to mind. Um, the, the team, Vance, you're correct. Vance is under an immense amount of pressure. I put online, um, my choice would be Isabel for different reasons. Vance would be a close number two. But I also just think like writings on the wall, like Vance, people know that you underperformed horrifically at your job last year, but you also didn't have talent. So I I like to give him the benefit of the doubt, and I also think, who are you going to get that was an upgrade this offseason that you were going to be able to implement? Um, And the Cardinals made their decision clearly to bring back Joseph before COVID-19 happened. But I also think it's not good to be in the business of just firing coaches every offseason. And the Cardinals' personnel defensively last year outside of Jones and maybe Jordan Hicks was horrifically bad, save for the rookies. It was... And Buda Baker, I'm sorry. It, it was it was practice level bad. Um, they've retooled, they've upgraded, they went out and got a slew of free agents, um, and they're going to give him a couple weeks to get it right. But if they're embarrassing themselves early this this off or this into the season, it, when they're thinking, you know, we got to get off to a good start with this favorable schedule to have a shot at the playoffs, they'll 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 pull the the, the cord real quick. Cliff will go to Steve and say, this isn't working. We need to change it up. His, his message is, is falling on deaf ears. And I'm sure behind closed doors, Cliff and Steve and Michael have already had a discussion about who the heir apparent would be, um, who's going to resonate with players, you know, should that happen. We saw that happen a few years back where Greg Williams was the interim coach for the Cleveland Browns two years ago, and they had a really nice second half. Um, a lesser extent, it can happen defensively with, with a coordinator change. So, um, I'm not predicting it. Certainly, I want Vance to have as much success as, as anybody else. Um, I also don't think he needs a top 15 unit or a top 16 unit. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's realistic. I think if he hovers around 
19, 20, 21, I think that's going to be good enough um, because I think the Cardinals' offense is going to be so explosive, so dynamic that you know they're going to give up some points via pre- prevent indirectly. Um, and you go back to you know the Kansas City Chiefs of two years ago. I'm not putting the Cardinal offense in that class, but their defense was poor, and that team you know had a historic season and had the number one seed. So you know they can't be like they were last year. That goes without saying, and I think they'll be better by default because the personnel is way better. But I also think it's unrealistic to expect Vance Joseph, a Vance Joseph-led defense, at least now, to be a top 10, top 12 unit. I think, I think more realistic, if we're, if we're looking at this team holistically and saying, where are they going to be at defensively? I think they're too average up front on their defensive line and at you know their opposite pass rusher to Jones, and then they've got a lot of things need to go right in the secondary. I think right now I would put them right around 2021, Blake. And that would be enough, I think, to get this team to the playoffs. Oh, absolutely it would be enough we've seen and this is what i broke down i think a, a little while ago for what the cardinals really need to change is the amount of points that they're giving up per game the cardinals were one of the worst teams as far as for on the defensive side and giving up points last year they really ended up scoring for the most part on average i believe it was 24 points a game and they were giving up on average if i remember correctly somewhere about 28 points a game what you want to see, at least, is that gap be closed. That was why they lost games. They lost majority of their games by less than a touchdown. Now, the season previously, the Cardinals' defense is actually a bit better in 2018. They were giving up on average 21 points a game, but they were only scoring, I think it was like 14. It was it was ridiculous how low their offensive output was. So they were getting, on average, losing by a touchdown or more. That's why there were so many blowouts is because they were just, even the games that... Uh, they wouldn't score many points in. Uh, even if the opponent didn't score many points, they'd still beat them by a touchdown or more because it'd be some sort of turnover or just being able to get run on. I think what you want from the season, John, is for the Cardinals to jump into that top 10 to be a top 10 scoring unit. You're probably looking at about 28 points a game. Uh, last year, they were at about 23. What's really funny is the Cardinals last year, if they turned a touchdown in the red zone, that would have been a, if they uh, had a field goal in the red zone, that they turned into a touchdown they would have been right around that area. And that's really what it showed. The red zone struggles earlier in the season, while a lot of those got fixed, there were still kind of some you know, swings that they had up and down for with the five-touchdown game for Kenyon Drake, beating up on a, a bad team or two like the Falcons. Really what it came down to was if they were able to turn those, uh, those field goals into touchdowns, they would have probably won at least two or three more games last year. On the other side of the defense... If you're able to reverse that and make it where, hey, instead of giving up 28 points a game where we're just letting teams march down the field, if you're now able to get to 24 points a game, all of a sudden you're on average winning more games than you're losing. That's how your team can go 9-7. and seven. That's how your team can get 10 or 11 wins. And in a year where there's a seventh playoff team, I think that's what you're going to be looking for. What's great is we should be able to know right away how that Cardinals team will appear because we'll notice, hey – even though it's going to be a bit rough for the first few weeks, and I expect that most offenses are going to jump out and be the the dominant force, uh, just because we see that whenever there's a lockout. The offense is it together, the defense takes some time. If we expect the Cardinals' offense to be a much more explosive unit, I don't think that it's going to be as much of an issue. They should be able to keep up. And then in that aspect, John, it is going to take the defense being able to, and like when we say average, we're not talking top 15 or more. We're talking somewhere in that 23 to maybe at at most like 
14th if you'd be really, really lucky. That's what I think that you're looking for for the defense. Uh, some other things on the defensive side, Cardinals are going to have to be disguising their calls this year. Because of the lack of fans, it's going to be very interesting to see how communication goes. Uh, there's going to be a lot as far as new to the game without as much crowd noise in different places. It's going to be very quiet. Uh, the other thing that's going to be different, again, is a lot of these coronavirus protocols. And I was at least encouraged watching uh, the Cardinals flight plan episode that came out to see they had a lot more technology that the NBA is using than seemed like it was hinted at. It's especially a step ahead of Major League Baseball. Uh, every player would be not just checked in, tested, having items cleaned down afterwards by the staff, but they also had a lanyard that they would wear that would tell them whoever the player was that they were within six feet of contact with, um, or if there was a time where like you weren't supposed to be that close to a player, it would even like buzz and say, hey, you need to get further away. To me, John, that seems like that's the best way to avoid a spread because, you know, if you have a left tackle, say, who uh, ends up getting uh, infected with coronavirus, they come back in, they have a test that goes out, you're able to then know exactly who the players are to stay out of practice for the next two or three days, see if any symptoms develop, and then if you say, hey, we managed to contain it, you can bring the players back or know at least how to be able to move forward. I am in that sense a lot more optimistic i should say about being able to have maybe not a complete bubble but being able to maintain the question of course is going to be when you do have a positive test or two will it spread faster than they're able to catch it which is what we've seen with the st louis cardinals and the mlb who still have not played any games because they just can't seem to slow the spread someone came out of quarantine a bit too early it sounds like and they had another coach test positive today led to another series canceled. The NFL cannot afford to have that, John, especially with all these big contracts being handed out over the next few years with already multiple teams saying no fans in the stands for that revenue. Yeah, and I take it from me. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm from the Midwest. I grew up and still am a St. Louis Cardinal baseball fan. Uh, they, have, they played five games this year. I know the Diamondbacks are having a tough season, but just imagine your team playing five games and then, that's it. They've been wiped out by COVID-19. Thankfully, nobody is like seriously ill, but we don't know, you know, the lasting effects for it. But I, I totally sympathize, and it's it's the harsh reality. Now, I will say, again, we, we make this argument every week, Blake. There's much less travel with the NFL. You're there for maybe 48 hours in a visiting city, whereas with Major League Baseball, how many road trips? You take multiple road trips a, a week, depending on where you're going. Um, and so I think that if the players take it seriously, if they subject themselves to social distancing and a somewhat quarantined lifestyle outside of, you know, the field of play, we're going to be okay. But I will tell you this, if, if, you know, this team starts off hot or excuse me, the opposite happens. If this team starts off slow and a lot of guys feel dejected, it's going to be tempting to go out and burn off steam. And that's when I think this this kind of stuff could happen. Kyler Murray is the kind of quarterback holding people accountable. You know, don't don't you know screw it up for the rest of your teammates. And that can really derail you know a team in a season that could be built with so much promise. And I think we're gonna. I this is just me speculating, but I I feel like if we have an outbreak, it's going to be from maybe some selfishness on some guys' part, just because they felt like you know what our season is lost anyway. Uh, you know, I can take the risk, I can go out, I can do this, I can do that. Whereas I think if the Cardinals are really humming, especially like mid-season, they're feeling good about everything, I, I just think that Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury, the leadership of, up top, 
um, led by Michael Bidwell, is strong enough to to ensure that you know a lot of these young guys follow protocol. And you know, looking at this team, I don't see many, if any, selfish players. These are all team guys. These are all former captains at the collegiate level. You know, there aren't any Robert Kimdichis in this group, thankfully, anymore. Um, so they're fortunate in that regard. Now, that doesn't mean they're immune to a positive test and that it's something as simple as going to the grocery store. I mean, you're at risk anytime you're out in public. So I don't want to put this and paint the team in a, into a corner that does test positive that they were being selfish. But I also think, you know, it's unrealistic to have a bubble at the NFL level, and so they have to take these kind of necessary precautions. But goodness, Blake, the early testing results are, are promising that not only we're going to have a season start on time, but it looks like we're going to get some form of just realistic football. And at this point, after the college cancellations, what more can you ask for? Yeah, and when you're talking about players being selfish, the best example I can think of is just today there was a news report that came out from Seattle Seahawks training camp. One of their, I think it was a rookie undrafted player, tried to sneak a girl into the hotel building, uh, breaking the bubble, breaking the quarantine rules, at least for that one. And it was all through the fact of trying to dress her up like a Seahawks player. And so it gets to that part of where you're like, one, how how dumb do you have to be to be able to have it where not only does that person like get caught, but then you find out the reasoning behind it. And not only do they say, hey, like we were talking about being able to make hundreds of thousands of dollars as a tryout or even millions in the NFL uh, to be able to just not be able to put that back. At least it just shows some of the I don't know if we could say whether it's selfishness, entitlement. There's a lot of that that I think was good today, but the Seahawks just straight up cut him and released the player to say this is where you can't be an entitled player in this league especially not this year because there's way too much on the line not just for you as a player but for your teammates as well and that to me john is where i think there's hope that we can have for the cardinals this year if they know it's a special season obviously there is you know covid doesn't end up avoiding anyone we've seen it happen to nfl coaches as much as rookies as much as even star players like von miller it takes no prisoners. The biggest goal, of course, is can you have a successful season, especially amidst all of these other teams like the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, essentially either delaying their season to the spring, if not seeing like that it's going to be canceled out outright. It's it's definitely one of the more tense times, I think, uh, not just in our world, but in the sports world as well for how much there is at stake. All right, uh, let's go ahead and we can kind of wrap up with uh, just a quick few thoughts. We've got the Arizona Cardinals uh, team schedule at least uh, if there's any changes at least that we've had to the opening the biggest change we saw obviously was no preseason what we have right now john is the first four games of the year we can kind of give our feeling for some of these we'll probably break down a little bit more obviously for uh, as we get closer depending on what news we hear out of camp right now the biggest question i have is when you look at cardinals at niners at home against the washington football team at home against the detroit lions and then on the road against the carolina panthers Again, it seems like that linchpin in the very first game is going to determine a lot because there's a chance if the Cardinals win that game that they could be 4-0 entering into their next stretch. Is there anything that's changed about those first four games for you, John, after seeing? Because the only change that's happened for me, I think, is I think maybe the Washington football team might be a little better than I thought they were going to be up front. Yeah, no, I, I think the loss of Debo Samuel in that opener against San Francisco and they're bringing in guys, receivers off the street like Tavon Austin – to supplement what's a, a diminished receiving core. They lost Emmanuel Sanders to free agency. He's in New Orleans. Devo's hurt. Um, they've got, you know, the rookie that they took from Arizona State. They've got the player coming off injury from last year, the mid-rounder. 
But I, I think that if the Cardinals are able, and this is a big if, if they can contain George Kittle, keep him out of the end zone, and then also do their best to prevent the run, and they've made some upgrades to do that, I think the Cardinals have a good shot at, at knocking off San Francisco in the opener. Home field advantage, I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't mean anything right now. Candlestick, they, it's a or formerly Candlestick, whatever the heck it's called now. Cardinals have always played well in San Francisco. They should have won there last year. I just think the Cardinals are going to go into that game. They, they're at a coaching disadvantage, yes, but I think they, they're at an advantage at a quarterback, and I think they're at a huge advantage with, with their receivers and skill players um, outside of George Kittle. And then defensively, look, I think the Niners' defense overachieved last year. They lose a DeForest Buckner in free agency. They're counting on a, young, a lot of young guys like a Javon Kinlaw. He may be a really good pro, but you know what? He's not going to be DeForest Buckner week one. So I, I just think, Blake, put put the rest of the games aside for a second, focusing on week one, kind of teasing it to our audience. I, I expect the Cardinals to play a close game, and I would be disappointed if it, if it wasn't a one-score game into the fourth quarter with a, with a chance for the Cardinals to win it. I, I, I think we're out of the realm of moral victories because I think that Anytime you go into a game and you've got a, an advantage at quarterback, you feel like you can win the game. And I, I think Garoppolo, to me, I think he's fool's gold in comparison to somebody like Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray, year two in Cliff Kingsbury's scheme, clearly has made a, has made it a priority. Upgrade his physical stature, his body is in unbelievable shape. He looks like he looks like Russell Wilson 2.0, but with you know four three speed. He, they're they're going to unleash him on a Niner defense that didn't want to see him again after last year. They're going to unleash him, and I, I expect the Cardinals' offense to put points on the board. And I think if the Cardinals' defense can fly around and put pressure on Jimmy G and they can stop the run, I think the Cardinals have a great shot, a great shot at knocking off the Niners in Week 1. I don't think – I they were so close last year in both instances, and the Niners have gotten worse and the Cardinals have gotten better. The Niners haven't upgraded, in my opinion, anywhere that includes left tackle Trent Williams – there's going to be some growing pains for him at left tackle in a new scheme. Um, you know, Joe Staley was a staple for them for a long time. They lose him. They lose Debo for the first game. Debo was their mo- most effective playmaker outside of Kittle. No Emmanuel Sanders. You know, the running game's going to be there because that's a, you know, Kyle Shanahan, Mike Shanahan special. I think their passing game could be a little off kilter, Blake. Yeah. The, the biggest thing I think is, like you said, no Debo Samuel. No Emmanuel Sanders. You got a rookie. Brandon Ayuk is basically your best bet. A bunch of slot receivers. It's going to be Kittle. If you can be able to see Kittle get shut down, and if the Cardinals' offense can take advantage of some of those gaps of the Niners' defense, I agree. Your goal is to get to where you were at the last San Fran game, but not let them back in like the defense did last time, where it came down to that last final touchdown and that disappointing loss. Uh, we'll, we'll have some more at least a weekend com- uh, coming up. We'll be able to touch back in base. We'll be more news as far as training camp next week once they get the pads on. We'll be here to bring that all to you. Uh, my name is Blake Murphy, and for my co-host, the Venerable John Venerable, this has been the Revenge of the Birds podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at ROTBpod, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, Spotify, and even places like TuneIn and iHeartRadio. You can also follow me on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. John, where can the listeners find interaction? with you and read your content yeah just at johnny touchdown on twitter of course here on the rotv podcast and then the written form on revengethebirds.com we'll be cranking up our coverage as we inch closer to that september kickoff blake absolutely thanks again so much for joining everyone take care we'll see you on the other side